Well, good morning again, and welcome to Mount Calvary Church. My name is Matt Watson, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're grateful that we can be together this morning, that we can sing and confess and do that as a family. And so we, we just want to welcome you. Um, if you're new, we're glad that you can worship with us. We have a connection card in the seat in front of you. We'd love to get to know you. We'd love to know how we can pray for you. If you're interested in getting connected into our ministry, fill out one of those connection cards. You could put it in the box in the back or hand it to someone in the lobby. Uh, but we want to we get to know you. We want to connect you with our ministries. Uh, we've been talking through these habits and some different programming that we're doing as we kind of refocus as a church. Um, if one, of the, one of the programs or the groups that we have that meet um, every week is community groups. And so we talked, Pastor Ray preached on this a few weeks ago. Uh, these are groups of families that meet throughout the week to enjoy some food, to pray with one another, to discuss the sermon. Maybe some groups will do a Bible study, but it's a really great way for you to get connected. So if you're new and you're not sure that you know that many people and you want to get connected, we'd love to, to get you put in a group today. Uh, come talk to Pastor Ray. I'd be happy to help get you connected as well. Um, another group that we've got is these groups called Grow Groups. And so these are groups of three men or three women that meet throughout the week um, that go a little bit deeper in some different ways, confessing sin with one another, studying God's word together, praying for one another. Because our hope as a church is that, that you would grow in your walk and discipleship with Christ. And confession and studying God's word and prayer, this is a part of discipleship. And so uh, we've got groups that meet all throughout the week, different groups. I, I put together our men's groups, and I'd love to hear from you if you're interested in having that group of three. Some groups meet early in the morning, some groups meet late at night. Uh, but our heart behind this whole series is, is that we want to help you take a step wherever you find yourself that you could be a disciple of Christ. And so wherever you are, whatever you're thinking, uh, come talk to us. We'd love to encourage you to do that. Uh, we've been talking about habits that as a disciple, there are things that you do and there are things that you grow in um, as you grow as a disciple. And so I'll show you all the habits we've discussed. This morning we're talking about serving others, but if you've missed one of the sermons or you want to see some resources for these habits, uh, you can go to our website under the Next Steps page. Uh, you can have all the sermons, some resources, and some reading plans because, again, our hope that as a church, our focus is really on how can we help you Wherever you are, take a step as you walk with Christ. And you may be a new believer, or you may have been a believer for 50 years. Wherever you are, we want to help you as you grow. And so we've, we've identified these seven habits. Um, and then this morning, we're going to talk about serving others, the last habit. And so as I go into a week for preaching, uh, I'll typically try to find a passage. That's a good part of, probably a pretty good starting point. I knew we were talking about serving others. I pulled out my concordance because I, what I like to do is I like to find a passage. And when you, when you find that passage, kind of a rule they taught me back in the day in school was you always let the text speak for itself. In other words, I don't have these ideas. Like I don't come to a, a passage in Scripture thinking, oh, yeah, we need more volunteers on Sunday morning. And so I'm going to find a passage that, that makes that point. It's really, they, they teach you it's the opposite of that. You find a text, and as you study the text, you let that text drive your sermon. 
Okay, you let the text speak for itself. And so I knew I had some idea of the message. It's on service. It's one of our habits. But I wasn't sure what habit or what, what passage I was going to choose. And so I pulled out my concordance, and I, as I found serving others or being a servant, I was pretty quickly overwhelmed by the amount of passages on serving. Completely overwhelmed. Fasting was last week. Okay, there was like six passages. There was four pages, hundreds of references, Old Testament and New Testament, on serving. In each passage, this is a main point in a sermon. This is a long sermon this morning. I mean, passage after passage after passage, all kinds of ideas about how you serve, who you serve, when you serve, why you serve, how you serve in the church, how you serve in your community, how you serve your spouse, how you serve as a picture of the Trinity, and on and on these examples of service, how you serve, by, how you serve with food, how you serve with time, how you serve with your money, how you serve by giving and sacrifice, and on and on the scriptures teach us about this idea of serving others. And as I was kind of thumbing through some of these passages, thinking through my sermon, I realized this is, this is not a sermon. This is a book. This is a long book. This is a series. And really, this really isn't, and this kind of blows up our whole nice organization here. It's not really a habit like the other habits. We're going to keep it as a habit, but we'll just go with it. But I mean, there are so many scriptures that teach about service. It's really kind of different than studying the Bible and praying and attending service, worshiping together. It's, It's different. It's a mindset. What does Paul tell us? Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Jesus Christ. And it's about the mind of Jesus, which was service. And you read some of these passages, and I think you quickly kind of see it's not something you do. It's something that you are. Like this, if you are a disciple of Jesus and you are seeking to follow Jesus, you will live a life of sacrifice and service for others. Um, And it's your identity, it's your DNA. But so this morning I had to pick four points here, the four kind of big ideas I want to work through the friction against serving, the flow of serving, the way of serving and the hope of serving. Friction, flow, way, hope. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for your word and that your word can teach us and drive us and direct us as we seek to live for you because like we've sung about, you are, you are worthy. You are worthy of our life, of our time and our money and our thoughts. You are worthy to sit on the throne of our heart because you have died for us and you've forgiven us, and you came for us. So God, we acknowledge that in our worship this morning, that you're worthy. But God, I pray now that as we think about practically, what does it mean to live in such a way that you're on the throne? God, I pray that you work in our hearts and in our lives. We recognize, I recognize, that I'm desperately selfish, And that this goes up against my idea of serving all the time. And God, I pray that by the power of your spirit in my life and in the life of everyone listening, God, that you would direct us 
that you would convict us, that you would shine light upon us. You would encourage us, you would comfort us in whatever way that you see fit according to your truth and your word this morning. And so God, we know that we will miss this if you don't help us to see it. And so God, I pray that you would speak and speak clearly through your text this morning. We love you. We continue in our worship of you this morning. It's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen. We want to start with the friction against serving. I mean, as I feel like this is a well-known topic, you know, that we are called to serve, yet it is so challenging to actually be available and willing to serve. There is constant friction personally. I think if you sat and reflected about your personal service to the people around you and your family and your spouse and everyone around you, I think we would all recognize that it's not easy. It is not easy to serve and to constantly serve, and it's because of this friction. And so I want to start here. I think it's good to just acknowledge, all of us acknowledge that with the disciples in the New Testament and with all of us here today that serving isn't easy, and it's because of this friction. And so we'll acknowledge it. Look at Luke 22, uh, verses 14 through 30. If you have a Bible and can turn there, I'll put it on the screen. A powerful passage that, that just, you know, I think so clearly illustrates this friction or this resistance to being a person who serves. And I think it's good for us to see it first in the disciples before we recognize it in our own lives. And so... Starting in verse 14, this is the, the Last Supper, the final meal in the upper, upper room. Um, we'll start in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, so Jesus said to his disciples, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God and he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. <clears throat> and he took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of God, Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who, were go, who was going to do this. Verse 24 a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But, I, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at table or, who, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one 
who serves. I mean, what, what a powerful, heavy scene that we get to kind of peek in and look at. Okay, so I want to just, for just a few minutes, just think about what was going on here in Luke 22. What were the emotions that would have been felt? Okay, this is a pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus. And so we see pretty quickly that this is not a normal dinner on a Friday night. Okay, this wasn't just a typical meal. This was Jesus's last meal with his disciples. Okay, he, he, this, is, this is it. He spent years with the disciples. He loved the disciples. The disciples loved Jesus. And can you just for a moment just imagine the solemnness of, the mo- of a moment that would be shared if you were eating a meal with someone who was about to die? Like how would that cause you to feel? You're eating some, with someone their last meal. And, and so this is, the, this is the situation. It's not just that this is Jesus' last meal. Jesus says several times through the passage, I'm about to suffer for you. Like This isn't just the last meal. This is the last meal before Jesus goes and dies on their behalf. And so as we kind of just think about the text, what would have been some feelings that would have been, should or could have been felt in this moment, knowing that Jesus is going to suffer, that he's going to die, that this was the last meal Okay, feelings like sadness, being completely overwhelmed with this idea that Jesus was about to go and die, feelings of being grateful. Hey, but it wasn't just this, this wasn't just the last meal, this was also the Passover. So this was the biggest celebration of the year where hundreds of thousands of Jews would come into Jerusalem and they would worship and they would hear from God's word and they would remember all that God had done them in the all God had done for them in the past. And so it was this special holiday. What would they have been feeling as they had this cedar meal at Passover with Jesus? Well, they would have been feeling excitement and reverence knowing that this was the Passover. Jesus also talks about in this in this in this passage about the fulfillment of the coming kingdom of God saying, I will eat of this meal until the kingdom comes in the future. And the disciples must have been thinking, when is this kingdom going to come? What would they have been feeling? Again, hope, anticipation, excitement. Jesus talks about, tells them, he instructs them that I want you to continue to eat this meal. And when you do it, I want you to remember. I want you to eat the Passover meal in the future, and I want you to remember me. Drink the wine and eat the bread in remembrance. What were they feeling? Nostalgia, thinking back, remembering what Jesus had done in the past. He tells them that someone's going to betray you. Someone's going to betray me. What would the disciples have been feeling? Again, just trying to just imagine for a minute. Confusion. They actually expressed confusion. Like, who is he talking about? Anger. And all that to say... This is a heavy moment. It's Passover. It's the final meal with Jesus. And Jesus says, I am going to suffer for you. And if that was the end of the text, and and we just said, well, what do you think the disciples would say next? Like, what are they going to do? Like, fall down on their faces and worship? 
I mean, what are they going to do? Like weep together? Ask for more teaching from Jesus? Like what would they do knowing all that the text sets us up with? I mean, this is like buildup of this depth of a moment. And then you get to verse 24. And I mean, what an astounding verse about what actually happens in this most intense moment. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Well done, disciples. Well done. Like, you have completely missed the moment. I mean, how inappropriate. How absolutely mistimed that all this is happening and all of a sudden you break the moment up with your argument about who is regarded as greater. The word is a dispute, which means they're arguing against each other by making a case for themselves about why they're so much better than everyone else. Like, they're actually doing it in front of everyone. So they're saying, this is why I'm better than you, and here are the reasons. And Jesus, I mean, what's he thinking? I know what I would have been thinking. Like, this, this is like your hand in your face kind of moment. Like, this is it, and now you guys are arguing about who is going to sit on the throne and who is the greatest. But Jesus much more gracious than I would have been, decides that he will speak into what they're arguing about. And he says, well, if you want to talk about greatness, let me tell you about greatness. Greatness is the life of service. Okay, and so here's, here's the point of this. The friction of serving is that we miss it. We miss that our life is not about being kingly or reclining at the table or giving to just as a benefactor. It's not about money and prestige and title and doing the least amount of work for others. It is about living a life of service. And here's kind of the point. If the disciples could miss this in this moment with Jesus, how easy it is for us to miss it as well. I mean, the disciples are hearing the bread crunch. They're, they're smelling the wine. And yet, it goes right over their head. I mean, they just completely miss it. And it is the same for us, how quick we miss what, what Jesus has called us to because we want the same things that the disciples want, greatness and relaxing and reclining and money. And this is what our culture tells us life is all about. And Jesus says, here's the, fr the friction is this. You are self-absorbed. I mean, you, your world, it revolves around what you want and you are missing the life that I'm giving you as a servant. But what's the flow of serving? So the friction is, is that we just miss it and we're selfish and, and at the core we kind of think of ourselves first and we want to be great. That's the friction that all of us feel. But what is the flow of serving? Like what's the opposite of that, if, of not being self-focused, but actually going, with, going in the way that Jesus tells us to do? 
If you've ever been kayaking or tubing down a river, this is, <clears throat> I think this is common sense. But when you get to the river and you have your tube and you're deciding which direction on the river to go, probably a good idea to go downstream with the current, right? I went, I went tubing with my son Truman months ago down at the Shenandoah River. Beautiful day, right, right in the middle of the, the mountains. We get on our tube, and for the next two hours, we just were floating down this river, and the, the current is just taking us to where we want to go. And, and I don't know if I fell asleep, or that's dangerous if I fell asleep. Um, something happened, and I missed our exit. So they have the big flag, like, don't go past. I'm like, is this a waterfall that we're about to go down? But I missed it. And Truman said, well, we better get back going. And so it was only a 20 or so yards that we had missed it. But for that 20 yards, all of a sudden, we had to swim, paddle upstream to get to our exit. And for all the relaxing that we did for those two hours, that 20 yards was exhausting. And so for us, I, I think it's really important to think about the flow of serving, where we're, we're serving in such a way that it is natural, and it's the way that we've been called to serve, that it's not this exhausting exercise that we have to do. And really, we should say this for all the habits. It is not about exertion. And we, we could have said it for all seven weeks. It is not about work and discipline and do and make it happen, because that's exhausting. That's not the picture of how we do the habits or how we serve. Instead, the New Testament gives us the flow by which we can, with joy, live a life as a servant. So if you could turn to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, we'll jump down to verse 16. What is the foundation by which it's possible that we can serve all the time and not serve ourselves? That's what we're asking. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, this is a passage, this is a verse that speaks to your identity. Look at the, those first two words. You are. Not you are like or you, you are similar to. This isn't a figure of speech. You are these things. Like right now, where you sit, whoever you are, whatever your background, if you are in Christ, these are things that describe your position and identity in Christ. Similar to I am a son, to my mom and dad, I am a brother, to my two brothers, like that is just, that is who I am right now. These four descriptions describe your identity. You are chosen, you are chosen race. Right now, you have been chosen by God because he wanted you. You are royal priesthood. I mean, this is a loaded phrase. You are both a king and a priest. Whether you feel like it or not, in Christ, you are both a king 
and a priest. You have full access to God as a priest through Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit. And you are king. You are royal. You are on the throne. You represent the king, the father. You are a holy nation. Holy means you've been set apart. It means you've been pulled out of something and you've put, been put somewhere else. Right now, in the eyes of the Father, you are holy, pulled from something, placed somewhere for something else. And you are a people of his possession. That's the fourth phrase in 1 Peter 2.9. You are God's treasured possession. He has you. He loves you. He cherishes you. He owns you. He loves you. Like, and right now, this is your identity. Okay, and, and the key word here, before we talk about what you do, it is key. This, this is the foundation. Okay, the, the key word, if you want to circle it, you want to highlight it, it's the word that. You are chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession. That. This is the funnel. This is the flow you are these things. You are chosen, and you are royal, and you're a priest, and you are owned and possessed by God. He came to get you, and he loves you. All of these things that make up your identity allow you to be the that, to get through that bridge so that you can do these other things. And so Peter, he's writing this letter to people who are being persecuted, and he's saying, listen, Knowing who you are is what propels you to be all that, I, that Jesus wants you to be. And so he goes on in 1 Peter 2, and he says, in light of this, in light of your identity, here's, who, here's what you are to do. Verse 11, abstain from passions of the flesh. Verse 12, keep your conduct honorable. Verse 13, be subject to every human institution. Well, that's a hot topic now. But here's the thing, knowing who you are, a royal priest, and being firm in your identity in Jesus allows you to be subject to every human institution because you know you're a king and you're a priest. And it is for that reason, the word that takes you to the rest of the passage and says, so because, of your, because you're all these things, out of that identity, you can do all these other things. Now, I'm not preaching on being subject. I'm preaching on verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but, as, but living as servants of God. Because you are those four titles of who you are in Christ, you can, because of that, live as free servants of of Jesus Christ. And this is the flow. Recognizing your identity, holding tightly to who you are in Christ, and letting that propel you to live as a free servant. Now that sounds silly, doesn't it? A free servant? Like, what does that even mean? How can you be both free and a servant at the same time? Well, our freedom is an ultimate freedom that speaks to our service. Our freedom is an ultimate freedom, and this is what Peter's going to do. It's a freedom that is so important and so foundational that it paves the way for you to be able to be a servant because the freedom is so much greater than anything else in life. Verse 10 speaks of this. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You're free. You have received the mercy of God because of your sin. Like you have sinned against the holy God and he has poured on you his mercy. Verse 24 of chapter two. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed when we talk about freedom the best freedom the most foundational freedom the most life-changing freedom is the freedom that your wounds have been healed by the wounds of Jesus that he for your sins. And we can just move on from that, kind of get accustomed to that. But what, we're, what I'm saying, what I think the text is saying is that this drives the life of service. To what extent do you value and appreciate the freedom that we have in Christ through the forgiveness of our sins? Because to the extent that we value it, is to the extent that we can do the that, which is to the extent that we can serve others. I was watching some show. I, don't, I wasn't watching this show, and something popped up, and it was a guy named Archie. And Archie was about to sing a song, and they were, you know, given the feely, emotional background to, to his life before he sang the song. And, and, of course, I found myself at my computer weeping as I listened to Archie. Archie Williams. These stories just, these, these stories just get me. Archie. Spent 37 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. 37 years. And in the 1980s, he said, a girl was assaulted. And within the weekend, he was arrested down the block. And he said, as a poor black man, he said, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have money. I didn't have the resources to go up against the state of Louisiana. And he said, and he said, before I knew it, I was in prison for the rest of my life. No parole, no probation, and, and I was stuck. And he said he would start, he started writing letters to people, to organizations that could help him. Because as he got older, he started to realize, like, this, this is not right. There's got to be a way to fix this. And finally, he got to an organization that started to help him. 37 years he'd been asking for these appeals and these appeals. And finally, this organization spoke on his behalf and Finally, the court said, after eight years of these letters of appeals, they finally said, we will take another look. And it did not take long, did not take long with new technology to look at the fingerprints that they had on record in their file to take that fingerprint and to match it with somebody else. And Archie was freed before he knew it. Okay. And as I was reading about Archie, he was, he was trying to raise some money. He was looking for a job. He was, I think, looking to buy a car. Okay, but Archie knew what it was to be freed. And so if he had to go into the service of an employer, if he had to go into the service of a, taking a loan, or he had to start working a job that wasn't that pleasant, or he felt kind of underneath someone else, like, a, like the IRS or like a job or something, something that he had to do, do you think he would have been burdened by the service that he owed to his employer? Absolutely not. Archie, I'm sure, wakes up every morning and says, I am free. I am free. I have to go to work Monday morning. That's nothing. 
I am free from this. Okay, and it is, this is the mindset for us. How can we, what's the flow of serving? What's the flow? We wake up and we recognize the freedom that we have in Christ, and it is ultimate. And to serve our neighbor, to serve our spouse, or to get up in the middle of the night and help your baby, or to your coworker, or there's a need, like, none of it means anything, because you are free in Christ. This is the argument that I think Peter is making. Your identity determines your activity to the level that you appreciate who you are, propels what you do. And so what's the way of serving? So that's the flow. And I, it's not just do it. It's be grateful for who you are, and out of that, then you can live the life. But what's the way of serving? A famous passage, Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Just let this one, just, just think about this one. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here's the challenge this morning. I want you to try to do this for 30 minutes today. Isn't that crazy? Like, like the thought of even doing this for like 30 minutes, 10 minutes, do this speaks to the challenge of not living selfishly. But this is the definition of, of service and goes on to say this is exactly how Jesus lived his life. And I love how Paul phrases this. The little phrase, count others more significant. Count others. I mean, this is so countercultural. If we were to ask the question, well, who exactly should we serve? In our culture, we'd say people who are more significant, your boss or people who, whoever, however you define significance, it's very natural to want to serve someone who's better than you. That's why you're serving them. They're greater than, who, they're greater than you. But Paul says, actually, significance has no bearing on your service because you count everyone more significant. Like, Actual significance doesn't matter because in your mind, you're counting them as significant. And so who they are, what they've done, none of, like how much money, doesn't matter. None of it matters. You consider them significant. Now, the question is, well, who, who should we consider that way? Paul, is, Paul likes to write lots of words. He sometimes will just kind of go on and on and on, write these long sentences. Uh, but here in Philippians 2, he doesn't give us a lot of information. Who is the person by which we should count more significant? You can underline it. It's the word others. Oh, thanks, Paul. It's really descriptive there. Really helping me live out Philippians 2, Paul. Like, like give me a little bit more. Well, what's Paul doing? He's being general on purpose. He's saying, I want you to count in your mind regardless of who they actually are, as more significant. And I want you to do that with every single person, anyone and everyone. Count your spouse more significant than yourself. 
Count your children more significant than yourself. Count your enemies more significant than yourself. Count your rivals more significant than yourself. Count the person that hurt you more significant than yourself. Count your neighbor more significant than yourself. Count the person who's politically got different things going on than you. Count them more significant. All others, whether they are significant or they're not significant. And so he says, count them more significant. And when you do that, what's, what's that, what's the way of doing it? Is you serve them by using your resources to care and meet the needs for them. And so as we think about, I mean, we're late in the sermon to be talking about this, but how do you serve? It's really simple. Use what God's given you to help someone else and their needs. What, what, what do you have? What, what are your gifts What are your resources? What's your personality? What's your expertise? And take whatever you have and pray and say, how might I count this person more significant than myself by helping them in a way, God, that you've gifted me? And we do a class here at the church called Place Class that is fantastic, that just helps you kind of think through yourself so that you you can know your personality, your passions, your past, your gifts, your spiritual gifts, so that you can serve the church and anyone where you get to know yourself and you're saying, how might I use my resources? It might be money. It might be skills. It might be a relationship. It might be time. It might be helping somebody fix something. But where you can say, how can I, me, serve the people around me? And then the hope of serving. And we'll close with just this last verse. Like, Why do we serve? Well, all these reasons we've talked about, but I can't leave out 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. I mean, what, what a What a passage. Why do we serve? Because we believe that Jesus is Lord. And why do we serve? Because we want people to see the ultimate service servant, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross to serve us and to serve our biggest need, which is we have messed up. We have messed up, and Jesus served us even though we were not significant and not worthy. And so why do we serve? So that people would see our service and they would look to Jesus for his. And so as, as we close and we're going to sing another song, I, I just pray and think, how might God use my gifts and my resources and my time to live a life as a servant? And then pray, pray even as we close Could you show me a way that I could serve this week? Whether it's a stranger or it's your spouse, someone you know or you don't know, pray and say, Spirit, Holy Spirit, I want to serve you. I want to serve the Father and the Son. Show me, and then may we have the courage and the boldness to go and to be obedient to what we've been called to do as a disciple. Let's pray. Father, We can serve because you have served us and you've sent your son for us. And I pray, God, 
I pray that we would never move past or grow accustomed to who we are in you, forgiven and freed, royal and priests, chosen and bought, sought after. And God, I pray that out of that recognition, God, as we cherish who we are in you, God, that, that serving would be nothing. It would be nothing because of who we are with you. And so, God, I pray in my own life and in all of our lives that this, this week you'd show us a way to serve. And it, may, it, it very well could be in our homes with the people we're the closest with, that we can kind of ignore or be short with. But it might be a neighbor, it might be a stranger, it might be a coworker. God, I pray that you would show us by your spirit a way that we can be used as servants this week. And then may we have the courage and the boldness to go after it. For your sake, we serve. Not for our names, but we proclaim you through serving so that people would see you and your son's most amazing act of service on the cross. And so God, we love you. We thank you for this day. It's in your name we pray.